listening to The Alex Spicer Show, where we like to focus on God, family, freedom, and religion, and discuss the true principles that ensure our happiness and our success in light of current and historical events. Welcome to The Alex Spicer Show. I'm excited to have a very special guest here today. His name is Brad Rogers. Now, a little bit of context here. Before I introduce and, and help you understand just who Brad is, I never knew Brad until I went to the Freedom Fest in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, just this past summer. And honestly, I was amazed. I was amazed at how he was a man of great character, so I'm, someone who I, I actually admire and look up to because I have always had an admiration for anyone who is courageous enough to do what is right even when all odds are against them even when all the pressure is on and it would just be so much easier to to shirk it off and and you're going to hear some of that here from brad i'm going to ask him some questions there's a very interesting story um that you all do need to hear from him but a little bit about brad here you know brad he is uh with elkhart county indiana and he's been working in the sheriff's office since 1987 and technically 1987 through 2020 um, now, what's interesting about Brad is that as he has basically come through the ranks in the sheriff's office, he was elected as a sheriff, kind of against all odds, and uh, and he basically filled two, uh, if I'm getting this correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but you filled two terms uh, as a sheriff, but there's a term limit in your county. Uh, I don't know if that's statewide, but at least I know there's a term lim- limit, which means you cannot proceed to be elected as a uh, sheriff anymore. And so since then, you've actually gone on to be a, uh, a is it a county commissioner or, or what, what is your current status right now? Yeah, so I uh, starting January 1st, I became a county commissioner. I won that election uh, last year. Awesome. Uh, and uh, let me help me to understand, because I feel like... For the most part, citizens, they have an idea. They don't actually understand what a sheriff does, but they have an idea that sheriff is law enforcement and they are an elected form of law enforcement. What? Why would you transition from sheriff to a county commissioner? Like, What role um, does county commissioner play that is still advantageous in the way in defending the constitution and defending people's rights, because that's really what your role is as a, as a constitutional sheriff. Um, what, what does the County commissioner do? Well, so do you want me to answer the, what does the sheriff do first or what, you know, I, yeah, actually, yeah. So let's start with the sheriff. Let's help people understand, uh, understand the sheriff's role. And then let's understand your sheriff is the sheriff is the chief law enforcement officer of the county and uh it's actually if you think about it it's the highest elected law enforcement officer in the nation uh you know your state police typically your superintendent is typically appointed your fbi director is appointed and and confirmed by congress you have uh your chief of police is appointed by a mayor and so the sheriff is elected by everyone uh, or eligible voters in the county and um, serves at their pleasure. And so, uh, he answers to no one, but the people. And so as in Indiana, there is a two term limit. Now I could sit out a term and go back, but, um, right now it's, uh, each term is four years. And so I, I serve two consecutive terms 
and had to step down as a result of that. So then I served under the new sheriff for a couple of years and decided that I wanted to run for county commissioner. And so the county commissioner, uh, on the other hand, does not have term limits. And they are the kind of the executive and legislative branch of county government. And there's three county commissioners in, in Indiana, uh, in, in each county. And so uh, it's a board of commissioners. And so you have to develop a consensus. So, uh, you know, you have to have at least a two to one vote to pass something. And um, so there's a lot more collaboration and networking and uh, trying to um uh, negotiate behind the scenes where as sheriff you were the man and you you could make the decisions uh you didn't have to confer with anybody nobody was your boss including the commissioners so in in indiana counties the commissioners own the property or the county property so the commissioners own the jail the, they own the office buildings and and so on and that's they run that uh infrastructure however the sheriff technically runs the jail so uh, and, and his offices, so the commissioners aren't going to, to intervene in that. But what commissioners can do policy-wise is they can be supportive of the sheriff, uh, not only in policies and, and stands against um, government overreach, but uh, supportive of the sheriff to make sure he has the tools, the pay uh, for his deputies, and uh, the many things that he needs to, to do uh, a good job. So uh, if you have if you have commissioners that are fighting with the sheriff, that's going to create uh, a really tense situation and and allow the sheriff not to do his job properly. So uh, as I transitioned into and I retired from the sheriff's office after 34 years, I, I went in as a commissioner. And because I was a county employee for the last 34 years, uh, I was able to transition into commissioner uh, fairly well. And uh, I'm not saying I know everything, but I, I certainly um, take the same attitude of uh, upholding my oath of office, making sure that my decisions are based on sound constitutional principles. And Again, not every day is a constitutional crisis, but you always need to start out there sure. to make sure that that you're using that as the foundation, uh, including uh, what is the proper role of government, uh, making sure that that I'm doing the right thing uh, in regards to what government is. And essentially, that comes down to I'm the servant, and I serve the people, uh, not just uh, not not their master. You know, I, I think what you just said there is actually, it's funny because it was on my mind earlier this week about that servant role. Um, because if you think about it, and I think I, I forgot, there was someone who had mentioned, had said this years ago, some radio talk show host, and he said, he, he posed the question, do you know why uh, when the founders made uh, the government, you know, the constitutional government, why they called the 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 main leader that we elect a president, not, not a, not a diplomat, not an ambassador, not a, um, a Caesar or anything like that. Like, like why would they choose the word president? And they said, basically for them, uh, like, like now that word rings with prestige, but really back then that meant that you were basically a janitor. You were to preside, like you were a servant and, and, and not a, not a, um, uh, prominent, uh, servant at that just just someone who's like like your job full time is to serve so it wasn't like um glamorous 
And I think that's interesting that you bring that up because that sort of um, notion should be in all, I believe in all levels of government, in all offices, but it's, it's very apparent, uh, very apparent in some roles, especially if people actually understand that role accurately. Now, I wanted to, uh, I do want to bring up the fact that you were on uh, Fox and Friends. You're also on Town Hall with Anderson Cooper as a staunch defender of the Second Amendment. I want to understand that. So um, what were you being interviewed for on, let's say, Fox and Friends and Anderson Cooper Town Hall? I imagine those were very different conversations. Uh, What were they, what were they talking to you about? So the way I got on Fox and Friends uh, was I was on a local PBS station on a panel of elected officials that were talking about gun control. And, um, of course, I was pretty much against gun control and um, wanted to make sure that uh, that message was, was well known. And... So um, one of the theoretical, it was strictly hypothetical, this never happened, but one of the things that they asked, it was during President Obama's tenure, is if President Obama issued an executive order to seize certain firearms, what would you do as a sheriff? And I said, I would ignore it. Because the president of the United States has no authority over a sheriff elected uh, in, in their respective counties. He has authority in his executive branch to, to issue executive orders. But his executive order, again, hypothetical, would have no power over me. And I would ignore it. And, uh, I, you know, if they persisted, I would tell them to get lost because it, it just... It has no bearing uh, on me. Well, that went viral, and um, they picked it up on Fox and Friends, and uh, they came. I, you know, I live in northern Indiana. They actually uh, made arrangements to send a, uh, a chauffeur to come pick me up and take me to Chicago to the Fox uh, studio and have the interview with the people in New York. No way. And so Brian Kilmeade uh, in New York, uh, I kind of saw him virtually, you know, uh, during that interview. And uh, you can find it on YouTube, but it, it is basically, um, um, he asked the same question, and I just answered it the same way, that uh, uh, as a sheriff, I do not have to obey any president's uh, um, executive order. Uh, particularly an unconstitutional one. So, uh, you know, and so it was, it was kind of a a big deal. And then uh, Anderson Cooper picked up on it and he had a sec, a second amendment town hall. And of course you had both sides of the issue on there. And I was uh, just a short snippet uh, in the audience that they had me stand up uh, and talk about being a sheriff and that I, you know, I was uh, against gun control. And of course, there's, you know, um, people that uh, constitutional attorneys, as they were called, uh, that lambasted me. And, and you know, I, I knew I was walking into a lion's den in that particular situation. Sure. But uh, I, I wanted my constituents to know that, that they had a sheriff that was going to defend them and that I'm willing to walk into a lion's den for them. 
and that uh, I was going to defend uh, their rights, whether I was uh, eventually uh, put in prison myself for being a constitutional sheriff or not. See, that's incredible. I, I do need to interject here because even though I have studied the Constitution a number of times uh, and, and I've, I've had many conversations on it, you helped paint a picture in my mind that had been lost on me because of the expansiveness of the uh, executive branch and, and the federal government period that, that you, you very clearly carved from underneath the president. This is where your authority ends, like right there. But we don't often think of it like that, right? Like, like nowadays, we, we really do treat the president, regardless of Democrat or, or, or Republican, we treat them as though... They have this ultimate power and ultimate authority, and yes, we wish they would stay within the, bond, the, the bounds of the Constitution. However, what they say goes, and it's far-reaching, when really what you, just, what you just declared, which is actually constitutionally sound and correct, and it is, sorry, bud, but like the reach of your arm stays right there. Like, like sorry, yeah. but it doesn't go beyond that. I don't care who you are. Your, your role is federal government. Federal government does not overturn state government. And like, like we're in completely different realms and you stay where you're at or you are breaking the constitution. And also we, we have an actual obligation to disobey you, not just you in your role as a sheriff, but the people as a whole, would that be accurate? That's correct. And, uh, I am not intimidated by, uh, for example, the federal government. A lot of times FBI agents will, would call my office and say, sheriff, I'm an, I'm with the FBI. And I'd say, so, what you know? What and I'm not necessarily sticking the, my finger in their eye, but uh, don't just throw around your title. Um, you know, let me know what you want, and if it's if it's legal, and uh, in, in my county, and you need some assistance, by all means, I will assist you. But don't don't go throwing your title around and 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 acting like well, I'm the, from the Fed, so I'm. I am the, uh, you know, the important person here. No, uh, I, sure. it doesn't intimidate me. And, and so and it would be the same way if the president of the United States called me. Now, if he called me for something that was, you know, congratulatory or, you know, something that was ceremonial and, and or he was just calling to, to talk or whatever, I'd talk to him like he was, he puts, I mean, they put their britches on the same way I do, you know, he's just a man. Uh, or a woman in, in whatever case. So, it, but you know, see, uh, I'm not intimidated by it because I know what the Constitution says. I know what public service is, and I, I just didn't fall off the log yesterday. So I, it's like I know what their limitations should be. They may think they can do more, but I'm I'm in there in that office to possibly stop them if they go too much overreach. That's right. That That is what you're supposed to be there for. And um, this ties directly into, I was hoping to ask this later, but this is such a perfect tie-in. I want to ask you, um, how does how does the local government basically help fend off um, federal government overreach and the loss of, of um, individual rights? How does the local government have that ability? Like in what way, what role? Because right now we have this obsession with federal government and federal power. Yeah. We sure do. And, you know, you need, you need to have local elected officials that understand the concept of 
the separation of powers, uh, the checks and balance, and the oath of office. You know, our founding fathers, uh, you know, in Article 6, Section 3 of the Constitution, wisely put an oath of office in there. And it wasn't just for the president. It was for the sheriff, for the mayors, for every deputies of those people. Everybody from, from federal, state, local government has to take an oath of office. And the oath of office as sheriff was not I, Brad Rogers, promised to write speeding tickets and put bad guys in jail. No. It, it, it says I, Brad Rogers, promise to defend and uphold the United States Constitution, and in my case, because I live in Indiana, the Constitution of Indiana, to the best of my ability, so help me God. You see, our founding fathers were wise. They put an oath, which, you know, oaths don't mean a whole lot to people anymore, but back then it did. It's a promise. It's a, it was an oath to uphold that. And they knew there would be evil men, possibly, and people like you and I who, quite frankly, make mistakes. We can all make mistakes. But they knew that if everybody took that oath, and that was the utmost importance in protecting the Constitution, that our republic would survive, and that even if there were evil men, which there are, or even if there were people who make mistakes, which there are, that the, our republic would survive and our constitution would survive and people's rights would be protected. So that's the first and foremost thing is people need to understand that. And local elected officials, I'm sorry, but most of them don't understand that. They have checked their mind at the door. I, I w- they, they think that, yep. that they're just, uh, they should just do what, what is, comes into their mind, I guess. Go ahead. So what I have noticed, um, this is something that really irritates me. So I live in uh, Utah and my local government, I'm just like, they have clearly strayed away. It feels like everyone who's going for the office now, or maybe they've been in office and they used to know how it's done. They now follow the trend and now they're just a bunch of sycophants, right? They're just like, Hey, like the more power I can get, the better. And it doesn't matter the bounds. What I find very interesting is where I live and this is for like the whole state, I believe when COVID happened last year, they did mail-in ballots and they did it just like all the other States, which was sloppily and very open to fraud. Um, and I believe you know, that stuff is not accidental. It's very intentional. Now, COVID, we, we really are not locked down here and, and things, COVID things have been, um, resolved and, and absolved for the most part. However, we had local elections just last month and we still got mail-in ballots. And it's like, hold on, you were not supposed to send a mail-in ballot unless I requested it. Instead, they sent everyone mail-in ballots. I'm like, okay, it, like, at what point are you going to start doing your job? I, I, like, seriously, when are you going to do your job? I don't care if some other state or some other uh, level of government anywhere is going to do it this way, you know what that is. You know that we as a people do not want this. And and I just realized, I think that more of us need to be awakened to that. That way we can hold these people accountable. And if they are not accountable, kick them out. And we get good people who are aware of what their, their oath of office is, what their role is, and how they can actually fulfill that role without saying, oh, yeah, I'm just a lackey to the government, to, to the federal government, excuse me. Um, you see, if there's nobody let me ask you, so, like, okay. well, if there's right. nobody like us that will toot the horn of 
the proper role of government and the oath of office, then you know people are just not going to get it uh, because they don't teach the Constitution anymore, and they don't teach about oaths, and they don't teach about what is the proper role of government. You know, we think the government is is somebody who's supposed to give us handouts and do everything for us and take care of us if a crisis hits, and uh, you know they're supposed to give us the right to stay healthy. And, uh, you know, in fact, they, they, a lot of people view the government as, well, uh, the Constitution gives us those rights, and the government gives us those rights, and then they can take it away. But that's not what the Constitution is. The Constitution is a promise no. to the people that the government will not take these away, that they will uphold it, and they will protect uh, the citizens, um, their, their liberties and their rights. And sometimes that's from bad people like criminals, but but a lot of times it can even be from an overreaching government. You're right. Um, I feel like uh, really the the actual um, fear that we should all have is not from a, uh, a a rising dictator who's full of fury and passion. It is the impassioned, altruistic, um, mothering, smothering. A uh, kind leader who's like, I'm robbing you of your rights for your own good, right? Like, like where people go, oh, aren't they? Just, I love being smothered against their chest. I can't breathe, you know, metaphorically speaking, right? I, I have no rights, but at least I'm safe. And that's well, how it is saw, for, for like COVID, right? It's like, oh, we saw a lot of that okay. last year during COVID. I, I had a governor yes. that yes. that said, uh, "You're essential or not essential." And that if you're essential, you can work. If you're not essential, you're to be off work and you're to lock down. That, that, is, that is tyrannical. And, uh, and yes, I'm telling you, uh, I wasn't commissioner then because I just started in January. But I tell you, I would stand up today if that happened and I'd say, not in my county. Yeah. We, we, here's what my thing is. I felt like there were not enough sheriffs and people out there who were saying not in my county, right? As much as people like to um, credit places like Texas or Florida, the fact is you still locked down for too long, right? Uh, you know, the, the two weeks to to um, slow the curve, what we're, we're like, what, week 90 to, uh, to slow the curve <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Um, but really, after, after like a month when we had enough data understanding Hey, this really isn't as bad as we think it is. It, um, there's a lot of hype around it, but we are ruining people's livelihoods here. This is wrong. Okay. Instead, there was a, there was a really long lag there before they did anything, and I'm not impressed. I, I mean, I think there are some good politicians, but I still feel like they did not grow a spine fast enough, which means the spine wasn't there in the first place, uh, and it makes you almost wonder why did the spine appear later? Is it for political expediency, or is it because? I don't know. Well, like they had some sort of revelation realizing, oh, you know, like, what am I doing? This is wrong. And then turned around. I don't understand that. I don't understand, like, why they they literally, like, there's so many businesses that no longer exist now. There are people who are landowners who have gone bankrupt because they're like, hey, if someone can't pay for their rent, they don't have to pay for it. It's like, hold on. I still have to pay my creditors. Well, it's, your own. it's too bad for you. But the renters don't have to, right? So you just you ruin people, and the only people who benefited from that are those with the largest businesses, whether it's a bank, or whether it's uh, Amazon or Walmart. 
they are the ones who benefited the, the most out of all of this, which is it's very disgusting because I'm a strong believer that the American way cannot be cannot exist without entrepreneurship, without entrepreneurs. If that is gone, then the the spirit of independency, of being sovereign from your government, uh, is is gone because we believe that. But the thing is, entrepreneurs are the embodiment of that spirit. And the second you say, the second you make it impossible for small businesses to exist, and only the large survive. Well, now economically speaking, everyone has to rely upon the government in some way, and also all of the businesses that are in bed with the government, and that spirit disappears. At least that's how I feel. I agree. Yeah, it's let me, uh, let me it's ask. Not the proper role of government. It's not. Now, I do want to bring up here, though. You actually you you were the recipient of the 2011 CSPOA interposer of the year award and i believe that probably has to do with the story about you defending an amish farmer is that correct that is correct okay so i, I really want you to share that this story with my audience but let me just help people understand the cspoa that is the um constitutional sheriff and peace officers association if you don't know what that is you now know Go and support them. If you want someone who defends the Constitution and understands its role more properly, people like Brad, then you need to reach out to this organization and they will help you communicate with your sheriff to get your sheriff on board in this organization because this is an, orga an organization that enables people who are constitutionally minded, who are in elected um, positions uh, such as um, elected positions of enforcing the law, who will defend your rights, who are willing to say that's you, you don't have the right to say that. Just like Brad was saying here that where if the gov if the president said, you know, uh, enforce these laws that are unconstitutional about the second amendment, I, I want you to ask yourself, is your sheriff strong enough, courageous enough to say no? And if he's not, maybe he, maybe he might be strong enough if he has CSP OA behind him, right. To feel like he's part of a network. He's not alone. Um, but sorry, outside of that little plug for the CSPOA, help us understand. So there, there was an Amish farmer and you had to defend him from the federal government overreach. What, what's the setup to this story? How did this happen? So it was, uh, it was around December 1st, uh, 2011. I was in office as sheriff almost a year at that point. And I had this feeling that there would probably be a confrontation with the president <coughs> sometime during my tenure, but I just didn't have an idea when. Uh, so I um, got the call from the Amishman. He called me and he said, Sheriff, and you got to understand Amish. Amish uh, are very peaceful. They do not vote. So this isn't, this wasn't done for political reasons. Uh, he, he, in fact, the Amish say they cast their ballot on their knees. So they do a lot of praying, but, uh, and I don't necessarily agree with that because I, I think they ought to vote, but I defend their right not to. It's just that I think they would be more effective if they did. But nevertheless, sure, yeah. um, this guy was a very peaceful man. Uh, he was a milk farmer, so he had uh, a large herd of dairy cows, and he milked them daily, of course. And and what, what he was doing was uh, he was selling his milk to food co-ops. Now, for your listeners who don't know what food co-ops are, these are 
organizations that deal in organic foods and raw milk and different things like that. And, and uh, you pay a subscription to be a part of this. And so in a sense, the, uh, the co-op had kind of like a, uh, a herd share, um, I think is the term, uh, with, the, uh, with the farmer. And so he was distributing that. And of course, he was going across state lines, which of course triggers federal interaction and stuff and so on. But what had happened was the farmer said um, that I have a subpoena to appear before a grand jury in Grand Rapids, Michigan on December 8th. And of course, that's outside of my jurisdiction. And I said, well, what, you know, what's going on? And so he said, well, come to my kitchen and, and sit down with me and I'll show you the paper. So I I went to this Amish farmer's home and I sat down at his kitchen table and uh, offered me a glass of raw milk. And, and then, um, you know, and, and that was that was his crime, basically, is he's distributing raw milk. And what is happening was, according to the documentation, is the FDA inspectors, the Food and Drug Administration, were sending inspectors. Now, let me just kind of paint the picture that typically a dairy farm will get inspected by the FDA annually, and they get a clean bill of health. And, and basically what happens is the farmer allows them to come in. It's with consent, and they inspect it. They give them a clean bill of health, and off they go. Well, with this farmer, he was distributing raw milk, and so um, they were apparently out to get him. And there were some allegations that were people were getting sick and, and so on, and I looked into that, and it was that was bogus. Uh, nobody was getting sick. In fact, if people were getting sick off of somebody's raw milk, guess how it's handled? It's handled by the free market. They quit buying it, and and he goes out sure. of business. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and so um, you know the government just wasted their time there. But anyhow, so they um, and he says, can you protect me from them from coming back into my farm? Because what happened was the FDA agents were coming. Sometimes as many as, as once every couple of weeks, and they were harassing him, and you know they were they'd find a fly in the corner or something, just just ridiculous things that that normally you wouldn't um, address with a uh, a dairy herd. Well, Wait, so, I didn't so, actually so have a count to his actual property. Yes, is that and right? they're actually coming to his property and harassing him. To his him? property, they don't even respect his right to property. Well, they, they would, he, he gave him consent, so he would come in, but he was tired of sure. it. He was tired of the harassment, and he said, I want to withdraw my consent. And I said, very good. I said, I will, I will send them a note and let them know, because they weren't there when I was there. And, um, but I also had paperwork from the Department of Justice because of the subpoena. And so I couldn't read the, the names on the FDA reports, so I sent an, an email to the Department of Justice trial attorney that was going to bring him into for the grand jury. And I said, because um, I asked the, the Amishman too, I said, are you sure you want to do this? Because then we're going to kick this hornet's nest and it's, it's, it, it might not get real pretty. And he said, no. And I thought, wow, or he's ready. He, and so he, he was very brave. And uh, I said, well, I will, I will protect you. So um, I, uh, I emailed the Department of Justice and I said, greetings, I'm the sheriff of Elkhart County. Uh, I understand that either you or your uh, 
cohorts in the uh, FDA are coming to, ins to inspect this farm on a regular basis. And um, I just putting you on notice, and you can relay this to your FDA friends, that uh, effective immediately, you are not to come back, you, you or any federal agent is not to come back to this farmer's property without a warrant based on probable cause and signed by a judge, or I will have you arrested for trespass. Wow. Well, as that's you can imagine, that's incredibly strong language. The federal government didn't like didn't like that, and so they <laughs> we started an email chain. Now this has happened. This is like December second or thereabouts, and we started an email chain that you know everything from uh, one. You have to remember the um, the Constitution of the United States is the supreme law of the land. So he, he threw out the supremacy clause. Well, what he forgot to mention is um, all, this, it's the supreme law of the land when it's in pursuant of the Constitution. And so, uh, you know, I have to abide by the Fourth Amendment uh, to unreasonable search and seizures as a sheriff, as a county sheriff. And by golly, I'm not going to stand idly by why the feds are violating the Fourth Amendment. And he's withdrawn his consent. He, he doesn't want them there anymore. And I just told him, you're not to come back unless you have a warrant. Well, they said that they have the right to inspect based on some administrative code uh, uh, that's a, a vexation that uh, occurred as Congress delegates their authority out. So uh, I said, well, the, the order persists. They even threatened to incarcerate me for up to three years for interfering. <laughs> And um, so, you know, here I was possibly facing uh, an arrest from federal agents. And uh, but, you know, I, I, I viewed it this way that, look, um, I have to face my wife, my kids who and, and my employees and my constituents that I promised to uphold my oath. And uh, I wasn't really I wasn't really worried that a federal agent was going to come and arrest a sitting sheriff and ignite a firestorm that they could not easily put out. So I wasn't too worried about that, but um, that was something that, that could have been possible. Well, then then the, um, the attorney from the Department of Justice wanted to speak to the county attorney because, you see, I'm just a dumb old sheriff. I, I don't know anything about law, and so we're, let me talk to your county attorney. And I said, look, I'm the sheriff of this county, not my county attorney. I run the sheriff's office, and uh, what I say stands. And um, incidentally, my county attorney goes, oh, Brad, what are you doing? You know, we're trying to protect you. And blah, blah, blah. I said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So um, it, that went back and forth, but I, I held my ground. And um, incidentally, just a couple of days later, the farmer received a certified letter from the Department of Justice releasing him from the grand jury. Now, I don't know if it was all me that, that caused that release, but uh, you can draw your own conclusions. There was no SWAT team. There was no shots fired. There was no physical confrontation. It was just one sheriff with some backbone that stood against a federal bureaucracy and said, you're not going to do that in my county. And they blinked and they backed off. And 
that was in 2001. This is 2021. In in 10 years, they the FDA has not returned to that farm uh, to this day. Wow. And the farmer's production has nearly tripled because of the publicity uh, from this. And, and if you search uh, the internet and put Sheriff Brad Rogers FDA, you'll find that I'm some type of folk hero in the natural food industry. When actually, I don't believe I am. I'm just doing my job. So... That's that's the the and and that's the difference between you have the federal government when you have some federal overreach, you have local government that if you if they know their proper place, they can take a stand and say, not in my county. You should expect it. I, I you know that that is a phenomenal story and it's amazing because. I feel like nowadays no one ever believes they have any power or ability, citizen or elected official at a local level, they have any ability, power, nor authority to oppose the federal government. That they just must they, they just have to do it. I think part of that is just like we mentioned before, that's from ignorance, from not understanding what their rights are, where their rights stem from, from God, not from government, and uh, and and the uh, the boundaries of people's authority and actions. I think, um, that, that, that's amazing. And <laughs> I, I kind of laugh when you say that you're kind of like a folk hero to, to the natural food industry. <laughs> I, I imagine they're like, Oh man, we need another <laughs> sheriff like, you know, like that in our County because yeah, I, I imagine you know, many people are, are, are always worried about that given, given the nature of, um, of the sort of food they, they supply. Uh, I am curious though. I want to know, um, you you know you worked around people you saw all people of all stripes colors and and, and shapes uh and you got to understand them when you're at an, in a elected position like this but more especially when you're in a legal position where you have to go to people's homes you are interacting with them face to face in times of duress and trial uh you see a part of humanity that no one else really gets to, gets to see so i think your perspective uh here will be unique I wanted to ask you, what role do you see religion plays in influencing people's attitudes and behaviors? Well, you know, um, for me, uh, faith is very important. Uh, I'm a man of faith, uh, and uh, that is, you know, especially in, in, a, in a career like law enforcement, or I like to call it the you know, peace officers, that... Um, you know, we don't get called to birthdays in progress, weddings in progress, unless the weddings get out of control. But, you know, it, it's not That's usually true. happy events. You know, we get called to burglaries and thefts and rapes and murders and traffic accidents where people have been killed. And and it's pretty negative. Now, don't get me wrong. That's the job I signed up for. And I'm not asking for any pity, and nor does any police officer ask for that. But sure. we see a lot of negative negativity, and I'll tell you, if it wasn't for the faith that I had, and I know the end of the story, I know I know what the end of the story is, and I know where I'm where I'm going if I would be killed or if I uh, die. Uh, that um, it's it's because of that that I can keep going, have a positive attitude, uh, serve the people. And, and um, you know, be able to um, 
you know, not, you know, don't get me wrong. It, sometimes these things do affect us. And sometimes we need counseling as police officers and, and you know, some of the tragic things we see. Uh, so, so I, you know, that, that's all there. But faith is important, I think, in this line of work. And so to answer your question, then to to get around to, you know, other people. Well, you know, why would the and I, and I respect an atheist. OK, I respect they have a right to believe what they want. But if you think if the Constitution talks about that, these are God given rights. How, how does an atheist, uh, you know, where does his rights come from? I, I just don't understand that. And, yeah. and yet I respect them. In fact. As a county commissioner, I, I approve, um, we, they have to ask permission to, to use the courthouse lawn just for, not because we, we want to make them ask for permission, but we want to make sure there's no security issues. So, and we always grant the permission, but it just gives us notice. So the atheists actually uh, set up a table on the courthouse lawn and, and uh, I guess, try to evangelize to people or whatever they do. Uh, and and that's their right. That's their First Amendment right. And as a commissioner and as a sheriff, I would respect that. Um, but, I, you know, when it comes to uh, morality and uh, keeping our republic, it makes me wonder, uh, you know, as we, as we slide down the slippery slope of hedonism and, and um, immorality, that um, that that's going to be a real concern in, in trying to keep our republic together. Now, I, I, I want to dig a little bit deeper here. Why would that be a concern in, in specifically in keeping our republic together? If we if we uh, don't if we basically if we become irreligious, how does that actually start to um, break down our republic? Well, I don't know if I have all the answers on that, but um, you know the um, the the um, I, I think our founding fathers were. Um, I think religion was very important. I think that um, the um, the biblical uh, side of things are, was very important, and. Um, you know, making sure that we have a moral people that would uphold the, um, you know, keep their oaths, keep the oath of office, uh, uphold the Constitution. You know, again, uh, as you as you go into immorality, you you also focus on not being the servant. You also focus on making sure that, well, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so if a politician is in for all the just for themselves and they're they're, you know, wanting to get rich off of it, they're wanting to, you know, accept bribes or money uh, that, you know, maybe not quite a bribe, but other ways of influence, it could be a real problem. And and yet when you have people who say, well, I don't want to work, I want the government to give me money. Well, where are they getting that money? They're getting it from people from their taxes. So I realize that there's people that probably need to ride in the wagon and we need to pull the wagon. You know, people that are disabled and, and maybe mentally unfit or whatever that they don't want, we don't want them to get lost in the cracks of society. But everybody wants to ride in the wagon and nobody wants to pull it. 
So, you know, as we trend this way, that could be a real concern. Uh, no, I, I agree. Because not all religions are the same, but many of them, there are many peaceful religions who teach principles and concepts that are very similar. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I am Christian, so I can speak specifically about Christianity. You talk about, you know, people want to ride in the wagon. Not many people are, we're, we're really whittling down who's pulling the wagon anymore. But from a religious perspective, it is literally contrary to the gospel, uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, to Christianity, to not do everything you can to pull the wagon. Um, you know, the, I remember studying about the Puritans and them settling in New England. And there were, I think there were like 11 or 8 or 11 um, very specific um, not necessarily principles, but ethics that they had passed down um, that have literally influenced all of American history. And one of those ethics was that they believed profoundly in in working very hard and doing the best at their job, right? Not not halfway doing it, but like, like to take pride in their work and to do it well. Um, they also believed very very strongly in being fair. And which, ironically, because of the capitalism in America, they end up winning most of the business because they, part of their religious belief is that to be fair, you shouldn't overcharge. So they actually really undercharge, but then they would have this, these magnificent headboards for for uh, for beds and these um these uh cabinets. Like they would just make them, they would engrave them with beautiful designs, and then they would be dirt cheap. And not saying that's the way we you know we move ahead is by being dirt cheap, but the fact is, they put more spirit, more passion in what they did. And that has influenced, I mean, those are just like like one or two things out of like eight or 11, I remember learning that they had passed down, it influenced all of America. But the thing is, they got those things from Christianity. Now, people can pull whatever they want out of Christianity, but those are real principles. We, we really, you know, we are supposed to um, do our best. We are supposed to provide for ourselves. And um, what I find is, is a very disgusting situation is that you have the government at all levels taking over uh, the place where religion always stood in. And one of those places was in helping the poor. And they say, no, 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 we're going to create a disconnected program in which uh, we're going to do it all. And they actually prohibit many churches from helping in ways they, they could more easily. When, but when you create that sort of a system, there is now a detachment of emotion. You no longer actually care for your fellow man, and therefore your fellow man no longer cares of whether or not they're mooching off of you. But when you actually make it a personal interaction where the church is in your community, they know you, they're going to come to your door, and they, they will and have a right to hold you accountable for the, for the resources they give you. you know, I think that's, that's a very beautiful thing because human nature is always going to tend towards selfishness and laziness. And uh, when you have people who live by principles that are contrary to, to selfishness and laziness, they, because they, they hold literally the food in their hand for them, there, there is a direct influence, and I don't, I don't think it's wrong nor unrighteous for them to say, well, sorry, but you're clearly just being a mooch here, so I'm going to revoke what I'm giving you till, till we see behavior that is good for everyone in this community. Um, uh, and going back, you know, we talk about like uh, the founding fathers, right? They, they, um, they believed religion was really important. You're darn right, they did. I mean. John Adams, he was saying, our constitution doesn't matter if the people are not religious and, uh, and moral. And where do we learn morality? And it makes me always think to the atheists. You brought them up. And I love atheists. I've, I've known many of them, and, and they're very good people. But they have to admit, if they're going to be humble, they have to admit one thing. And that is the atheists in America, 
rely upon the Christian foundation, culture, and society that exists in America today. And without it, they would have no legs to stand on because there is no longer a, oh, where do your rights come from? That's a really great question. Well, I don't know. Why, why do these principles matter? Well, because we all, all agreed on them. I'm like, you know what? There have been societies throughout history who have all agreed upon very contrary principles uh, to the detriment of all humankind. Reason doesn't stand in the way. Godly principles do. Godly principles educate our morality. Sorry, I, that, I apologize for going on such a large rant there. You looked like you were going to say something. Well, I, you know, uh, in government today, uh, it, it's like a perverted morality. So the left uh, wants everybody to get handouts from the government. Well, sometimes even on the right. Uh, and, you know, it's like um, if, I'm, if you are hungry and I want to give you my sandwich, and I give you my sandwich, then I've given that to you. But when I have, um, you know, let's say someone else, a member of the government comes, you know, you say, I want your sandwich. And I said, no, I, I'm not going to give it to you. And then the government comes up and puts a gun to my head and says, give him your sandwich. So I give, yeah. him, I give you my sandwich and the government's going, see, um, that's a good thing. And, and you walk away thinking, yeah. wow, I, I've got, I got a sandwich. But, you know, it wasn't done in, in a, mora a moral way. And, um, and that's kind of what we, we've got here today is we've got a situation where um, everybody's expecting the handout. And, and even our, uh, you know, most recently, and, and, and again, it's, it doesn't matter Republican or Democrat. It, it, you know, you have uh, wealth distribution occurring with, with stimulus funds and, and things of that nature, people that didn't earn it. And, um, you know, so I'm, you know, we're paying taxes and then the money's going to somebody else. And it's just, uh, it's kind of crazy the way that we're headed. So. I agree. It, it's, it's mind boggling how fast we're headed that way. And the only reason why it goes this fast is because we have forgotten the foundations of, of our republicanism, of our constitution, and of our even our, our culture, right? Yes. Like our, our culture has always been based in those Christian principles, which has which has kept the people moral enough to have a good government, moral enough to stay prosperous and free. Um, let me ask you one last question here: What teaching or or even principle do you feel like could make the largest impact today in preserving? freedom in America and ultimately the world. So uh, what, what source of teaching are you talking about? Like in the Bible or? Any, any, any that you, uh, it could be biblical. It could be anything like what, what principle or teaching do you feel specifically is probably most needed at this moment in time in order for us to preserve our freedom? Oh, let's see. Probably I would think, uh, you know, so, we, we talk about, uh, you know, there's people out there that uh, are wanting a, a constitutional convention and they want, you know, they want to uh, revise our constitution. You know, what we need to do is we just need to follow our constitution. And, but we're not going to do that if we don't have the expectation of, from the people that our leaders actually follow it. 
And that's what disturbs me the most is that, um, you know, I'll have people come to uh, county commissioners meetings and they they uh, let's take for a rezoning issue and they'll say, um, and this isn't necessarily a constitutional crisis, but it goes foundational to uh, property rights. So they might say, um, you know, I'm across the street and let's say somebody wants to put in a Dollar General store. And they and these two homeowners bind together and they come to the commissioners and say, we don't want to look at this Dollar General store across the roadway from us. But I'll ask them, do you own that property? And they say, no. Then I said, you don't have a right to say what, what you look at because it's not your exactly. property. And so property rights is, is a big deal. And, and we deal with that in county government. And um, so everybody wants to, you know, not in my backyard. Everybody wants to control someone else's property, even though they don't own it. And they want to spend other people's money, even though they're not the ones that, that uh, are giving the money. And it's just, it's just out of control. And I think the federal government, I just don't think we're ever going to get the federal government in check, at least you know, the way that we're going right now. So my only hope, and the reason I'm not in Congress or in the United States Senate, you know, I didn't try for it, but my point is I didn't go that way because I knew that I can make a difference on a local level. I showed that as sheriff, but I can make a difference and protect people's rights and have a constitutional perspective, hopefully a proper one if I don't make mistakes. And um, and I can defend people's rights at a local level. Uh, but, you know, you'd go to, the, you know, I know we need good people in Congress, and maybe someday I will, but, you know, I, it just churns my stomach to think about going there and, and, and being involved in, in the circus that we have, because it's like, what, how you can't get anything done. And uh, it, it's just, uh, it's kind of bizarre. So I think that, you know, for, for your listeners, the key, and, and some people don't do this, they'll vote in presidential elections, but they won't vote in local elections. The key is your local elected officials, the people that you know their names, you know their face, you know you can pick up a phone and talk to them, you know you can email them and get a response, you know you can call them and say, hey, can you come to my house? And I do. And, you know, but you can't get that out of the federal government. You know, you you might get it out of your uh, congressman or congresswoman in, in, in your area, but it won't be right away. You know, and and so your local elected officials, including the, your sheriff, are are key elements to protecting our, our constitution and our republic. And um, so, I encourage your listeners to 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 get involved in local politics, and then. You know, even though I'm a county commissioner right now, I still go with the uh, Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association around the country and teach sheriffs uh, how to be a constitutional sheriff and what that means. And I tell the milk story and I, I tell other stories that I've intervened in, even in local politics, how I've uh, assisted people and protected their rights. And that's what's important that, that you know, I can't control what necessarily what the president of the United States does. I can't control what sometimes they do in Congress, 
but but we can have it make a difference in local politics. And I know for some of you, it is it's disheartening because even in local politics, there's corruption, especially if you live in a big city. But um, you know, it, it's a key element that we uh, strive to change that mindset in those in those local elections. I, that, that's a very very good point. And and if I will, what you something you said. Just maybe think of, of the biblical parable of the um, the prodigal son, because basically you had mentioned that you know we, we you know people want this convention of states etc. When really if we just follow the constitution everything will be fine. And what came to my mind is that you know we need to have this moment where we come to ourselves, just like the prodigal son did. Eventually he came to himself and realized what the heck am I doing, and, and, and you know went back to his father. We're at that point, though. Like, we need to come to ourselves. Like, what the heck are we doing? Are we following following the Constitution? No. Then stop looking for the next grand little nugget. You think that meeting and making a change to the Constitution is going to solve the issue? No. It's it's a human behavior issue um, that had always been kept in check until now, which means, clearly, we as a people have fallen, and not necessarily the Constitution is uh, is outdated or irrelevant to our current situation. Well, I... I really appreciate um, the time you took to, to be on here and the stories you shared. This is, I, it's very enlightening and very encouraging. Uh, and I appreciate that you are a man of faith and that you have exercised that faith to to maintain a level of, of positivity and, uh, and also to defend truth. Uh, because honestly, there are many truths in the Constitution which are which are eternal, I believe, and primarily our, our rights, you know, our rights to sovereignty. I appreciate that you have been a, a, an example of that. Um, if I, if there's anything I could ever do to, to support you in your role or any of my listeners, uh, how, how can they contact you? Well, uh, I'm very accessible, so you can get me on Facebook, Bradley D. Rogers, or I also have a political page, Brad Rogers, uh, Probably that's the better one because you can just follow me and and you don't have to we don't have to you know accept friendships because sometimes people out of the area I'm not always so sure what their intent is so uh, the the page sure. is called Brad Rogers uh, and it's I'm Elkhart County Indiana Commissioner and um, and so you can follow that a lot of times I post things on there that of uh, that I, I don't put on there, you know, if I had a nosebleed, I talk about, uh, you know, I talk about educational things and I talk about uh, educating people on local government issues and also on the constitution. And so, um, and then, you know, I think it's important that they, that your uh, listeners um, reach out to CSPOA. It's CSPOA.org. That's the Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association. I don't, uh, nobody's getting rich off of this. Uh, we, we usually, uh, any donations are used to fund sheriffs going to these conferences because uh, a lot of times they can't use tax dollars for this type of thing. So we fund sheriffs to go to these conferences and um, I will go to these conferences and teach them on, on what it is, an example of being a constitutional sheriff. I've lived it. And yes, I'm no longer a sheriff, but you know, it was just two years ago that I was sheriff. So, and, you know, not quite a has-been yet, but but now I'm still as a, as a commissioner, and so I can speak from a government official's position. You know, 
I, I'm from the government, so I'm sensitive to that. And um, I, I want to make sure that it's the proper role of government and that we're not excessively spending and that we're um, abiding or uh, upholding liberties and, and, and protecting people's rights. And I would love to have gone through the, the COVID year as commissioner because I would have fought tooth and nail to fight for liberties. And, uh, I, you know, as I came into it in January, one of the things I fought for was, you know, getting rid of the mask mandates. And, uh, and you know, um, I think that uh, the vaccine passports is a, is a real dangerous thing. And, uh, and I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I, I, I think it's, it just should be an individual choice. So, and, but it, the commissioners have uh, put out a resolution that we're against uh, vaccine passports here in Elkhart County. We don't, um, we don't require county employees to, to get them or any, any patron who comes into a county employee to do their business. We don't, they don't need to show proof of vaccination. And, and yet I think as a private entity, it's, it's dangerous territory. I, I also respect private personal property rights, but I think we're getting into dangerous territories when we're talking about medical privacy. And so, you know, it's one thing that you require Absolutely. shoes and for service, but to have a vaccine passport, I, I think that's where uh, we're getting into a, a really uh, tough situation. But commissioners can't control that. That's going to have to be done at more of a, a legislative, a state legislative session, or possibly even federal. But uh, I think that uh, again, I don't look to the federal government to solve my problems. I look for state and local government to solve individual problems because each state is sovereign, and we need we got to remember that each state is sovereign. Uh, the governor is over each of the states, and uh, the United States delegate to the federal government uh, certain specific powers, and the federal government has has grown grown uh, exponentially. The way they sh they shouldn't, and it's it's probably hard to reverse that. But um, we can we can continue to uh, plow ahead and and protect people's rights at a local level. So I'll continue to go out. Um, in fact, I think we in October we're uh, uh, a bunch of sheriffs and retired sheriffs like me are going to Texas again to to speak to I think four different counties uh, to educate sheriffs and their deputies on what it is to be a constitutional sheriff. And I think that the, the movement in Texas is really growing. And um, sheriff, uh, retired Sheriff Richard Mack is really big in, in this movement. And he's a good guy. And, and uh, he, he kind of oversees the CSPOA. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking to uphold the holy cause of liberty. And we want to continue to do that. Sheriffs oftentimes will protect people from bad guys. But we also protect people from, or can protect people from government overreach. And that's the message we want to try to send out. It's a wonderful message that everyone should support Andrew to hear. Um, thank you so much again for your time. And I do just want to say one more time to my listeners, support CSPOA. Go to CSPOA.org to support that organization. It, it is phenomenal. And, uh, Brad, I appreciate your time, and hopefully we can connect again soon. Oh, it was a pleasure, Alex. Let's do it again.